0: would in in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. If you're using the black Bibles there in the chairs, it's page 714. Hebrews uh, chapter 6. We're going to start off this morning with a picture. That is the USS Frank Cable. This is an important ship uh, for me. I don't know about the United States Navy, but it's important to me. Uh, this was my uh, the ship that I was stationed on, and <clears throat> I was saved on that ship uh, down in the birthing compartment. <clears throat> a fellow sailor led me to Christ back in 1980, and uh, in June, uh, more specifically, June 23rd of 1980. Now. <clears throat> In, in January of 1980, uh, we, uh, as a crew, uh, commissioned uh, the ship, uh, the USS Frank Cable. Uh, it was a brand new ship, and I am a privileged pr- plank owner on the ship. If, do you, Yeah, plank owner, okay. Uh, Most of you probably have never heard that term before. What that means is that I am officially part of the original crew of that ship. So when they decommission that ship, uh, I'm supposed to get a piece of it uh, as as being part of the original crew, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, But it is still uh, an active duty ship. It's stationed in Guam uh, right now. Uh, still serving our country uh, doing maintenance on submarines but in February of 1981 so about a year after uh, we commissioned the ship we sailed down to uh, St. Thomas down in the Virgin Islands and you think wow that's a horrible place to go (laughs) especially in February when we We pulled out of port February. Uh, I don't remember the day, but it was cold and rainy and just nasty day. Far worse than anything we have here today. And we pulled down. We went down to St. Thomas, and, man, the sun was out. We hit the beach, and, oh, it was, anyway, uh, that's another story. But the, the purpose of the trip to St. Thomas was to demonstrate that the ship could do what it was designed to do. Okay, uh, submarine tender, uh, the purpose of a submarine tender is to supply submarines and to repair them. Uh, so my job uh, on, on the ship was t- I worked on submarines. That's, I would go down in submarines and work on them all the time and that's what I did. The exercise that we were partaking or partaking, or being a part of <clears throat> was to go down to St. Thomas, uh, drop anchor, and supply four submarines for 10 days, fresh water, steam, and electricity so that their crews could, could completely shut down. What we were doing is trying to simulate a wartime... Uh, repair repairs does does that make sense so for 10 days the submarines came in they shut their systems down and then we as the mothership supplied them with food everything we we worked on them we did repairs we did everything just as if it were in a wartime uh situation yeah basically a life support yes now the 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 whole point of me explaining this is, 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 I'm getting there, okay? If you notice on the front of the ship, there are two anchors. Um, you can't see it, and I couldn't find a good picture of it, but on the back of the ship is another anchor that's even larger. <clears throat> so what we what we did when we got to St. Thomas is we we pulled into the harbor. And we anchored way out in the harbor. We didn't want to tie up the harbor, so we anchored out pretty far. And we dropped an anchor. The ship backed up, moved forward, dropped the other anchor in the front, backed up, dropped the, dropped the rear anchor, and then they, we kind of settled in between all three anchors. And <clears throat> what we did is we created basically a triangle, if you would, uh, uh, dropping our anchors. And I say me. I had nothing to do with it, okay, but the, the ship. I've <clears throat> uh, got another picture here for you. This is basically what it would look like. Uh, this is not it because there's only two submarines here. There would have been two submarines on the other side uh, during this this period of time. But you can see here, uh, there's a there's a well, I don't know what what it's officially called. I call it an arm that comes off of either side of the ship, and that's where the steam, electricity, and fresh water would drop down to the submarines would run along those rails and then drop down to the submarines. But by doing this, what we would do is create, if you would, a safe harbor for the submarines to come to, again, in simulation of wartime uh, needs of uh, uh, supplying, repairing a submarine uh, outside of a a safe port. Does, Does all that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> so an interesting thing that a lot of people don't realize is that when a ship drops a single anchor, it is it is subject to the currents, the wind and so on and so forth. So so literally what happens is a, is an anchor is dropped and that 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 ship or boat can can literally float 365 degrees. Dependent on the way the winds blow and currents and tides and so on and so forth. When you anchor like we did, uh, the ship doesn't move. I mean, it goes up and down with the tide, but that's about it. It's important that in time of war, a submarine that would need repair or supply could come to a safe harbor? Does it sound kind of familiar to what we need periodically? We need a place oftentimes where we can come and find peace. Typically, as I pray for God to burden my heart uh, for a theme. I pray yearly. Somebody asked me the other day, well, when do you start, you know, when when do you get the idea for a theme? And and <clears throat> generally speaking, um, I start praying as soon as Vacation Bible School's done, I start praying and asking God to give, give me a, a, a vision for the following year. So uh, usually about the first of August. And God almost immediately started burdening my heart about this idea of being anchored and and, and, and the more I prayed about it, the more I started to see the, 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 the need for being, Christ being the anchor of each of our lives. In the past, I have prayed very, very diligently that God would give me a theme and make that theme a passion in my life. Does that make sense? I didn't pray that way this time. I realized that the theme does not need to be my passion. It needs to be our passion. And I prayed differently this time. I prayed that God would specifically use this theme not to just touch my heart and my life, but that it would touch all of our lives because there is not a time that either that any of us we all need to be anchored in Christ i very specifically chose the theme in four sections and we're going to be speaking about all four of these all all year long but if if we are anchored in his provision if we are anchored in his promises and we are anchored in his peace do you see the triangle excuse me anchored in his plan that's the third the third anchor then the peace of God the safe harbor that each of us needs is available to us but it all starts with us making a choice to be anchored in Christ there's not one of us in the room in this room this morning that this last week we have not dealt with either grief, struggle, uh, problems. I mean, you, you name it. The, the 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 gamut has been run in this room today. I know there's a family in our church that is hurting very very deeply this morning because of something an extended family member uh, did. The hurt, the pain, the grief, but praise God, they had a safe harbor to run to. See, you've got to understand. <clears throat> in w- during World War II, if a submarine had an issue, again, if you, it, it, I hope you don't get tired of the nautical um, discussions we're going to have over the next year. I just, I love history. I love the Navy. I've always, I've always, I, I, I learned how to sail as a young boy and I I love sailing. I haven't done it in forever. I don't know if I still could, but I just enjoy it a lot. So, but in World War II, when a submarine needed repair or whatever, they had to go to a harbor, to a port they didn't have submarine tenders. They didn't have tenders that could travel to them and repair them. They had to make their way. And, and, and way too often, <clears throat> God, God, I believe God's given us a wonderful picture in this idea of being anchored because we have a safe harbor that we can go to no matter what situation we're in, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on. We have a safe harbor to run to. We can find the peace of God, but the prerequisite that that is is we need to be anchored in Him in order to find that peace. <clears throat> if you haven't figured it out yet, the title of my message this morning is Anchored in Christ. <laughs> yeah, that was a real hard one. <clears throat> I found, and I'm going to be doing a lot more digging into this. I did not realize it until I started studying on the idea of being anchored. But the anchor, and I actually got one on the front of the pulpit. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, But the the symbol of an anchor goes all the way back to the first century church. And uh, we, I got another picture for you. This is, and I picked this particular one, uh, there are at least 66 images of anchors carved into the walls of the catacombs uh, under Rome. Uh, Christians that, were, that hid in the catacombs. Excuse me, uh, apparently uh, this was an incredible... Uh, uh, an incredibly um, uh, what's it, popular, I don't know if that's the right word or not. But anyway, the the, the Christians that were suffering persecution uh, understood the significance of the anchor. And this particular one, and I picked this one because I, I like this one the most out of the few that I saw, mainly because it shows two two fish or two Christians stuck on the anchor. I like that. Um, and this, in fact, if I remember correctly, this one was actually engraved on a, on the tomb of a believer that had died in the catacombs and they buried him in the walls. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, <clears throat> the, the, <clears throat> the, the symbol of an anchor is something that our Christian forefathers, uh, thought was very, very precious. And, uh. <clears throat> what an incredible reminder that our hope is in Christ. Amen? Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, For uh, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore uh, ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. We have an anchor in Christ. All we have to do is latch on to it. Hebrews, Hopefully you have found it by now. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and fast, and which entereth into that within the the veil, whether the forerunner is for us uh, entered. Even Jesus made an high priest for uh, for even after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You again for this day. Thank You for Your precious love. And Lord, we ask as we look into this uh, idea of being anchored in You, that You would speak to our hearts and that You would help us to see and to know that our hope has to be in You. We love You and we thank You. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Point number one this morning, very simply, the anchor. <clears throat> Again, really hard, hard one to figure out here. Huh? <clears throat> the spiritual anchor is different from the physical anchor. Now, obviously, with the slide, with the banners, with the, with the, the, the one on the, on the pulpit. There's even one out in the foyer. Uh, uh, <clears throat> these are physical anchors, but they are just symbols of a spiritual anchor, and our spiritual anchor is different, and we need to rethink what a spiritual anchor is. First, the spiritual anchor is upward and not downward. Where does our hope come from? Our hope comes from above. James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning our, our, our anchor is up, not down. Now it's, it's, it's important that we understand and picture an anchor because <clears throat> an anchor, uh, what I, well, let me go back when, when I was first learning how to sail back when I was j- just a teenager, <clears throat> uh, one of the things that I learned is the importance of an anchor. Uh, if you, if if the anchor is too small for the for the for the sailboat, uh, what's going to happen? It's going to it's going to drag as the as the currents change. the 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 the, the, the anchor is going to drag. But what so so then the tendency then for a lot of people is they get too big of an anchor. What happens then? Yeah, you know, especially in a sailboat, because the anchor is usually in the front. It weighs the front of the the sailboat too much. And then as you're trying, you know, especially if you're in a race, that's the last thing in the world you want. The idea of an anchor, it has everything to do about the balance or going back to the nautical term, the ballast that, that the love of God has in our lives. James chapter three, verses seven, uh, thirteen to seventeen. The who is a wise man and endureth with knowledge among you, let him show out a good conversation uh, uh, of, uh, good conversation, his works with meekness and wisdom. but if ye he, if he have uh, bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth from above but is, uh, 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 excuse me, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. The picture that we saw uh, that I showed you of uh, the second picture of the the cable showed a safe harbor, a a place where a submarine could go and be safe, and it was a fixed position. Another interesting characteristic about the spiritual anchor is that we're supposed to be moving forward. And you think, but, but wait a second—you just said that an, an anchor is supposed to hold you fast. Again, we're we're having to rethink what a spiritual anchor is versus a a worldly anchor, if you would. Are we not commanded to be moving forward in in our relationship with God? But we're anchored at the same time. And <clears throat> as I started thinking about. The that type of an anchor, I came up with another image in my mind. Here this is. <clears throat> is not this rope anchored? And is not the climber moving forward? See, we, we have we have in our minds <clears throat> a picture of a worldly anchor that when it's dropped, whatever's tied to it cannot move. But we are commanded to move. How do we move? We tie our rope to the anchor. This is really illustrated in verse 19. There's two key words in verse 19 that I want you to get a hold of because these these two words are very important to the concept of being anchored. The first one, Well, let's just read verse 19, Uh, which hope we have as, uh, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and fast, sure and fast. The word sure means it cannot break. Doesn't mean that it probably won't break. What it means is that it won't break. So when we anchor our soul in Christ, it cannot break. It is sure. It is there forever. It cannot break. No matter how steep the mountain, no matter how rough the terrain, no matter what you're going through in life, your anchor is sure it will not break. That is an incredible picture for us today. Because, again, there is not one person in this room, especially in the last, well, let's just say in the last six months, has not been through some trial or struggle or problem. And the fact that we can hold fast and sure, knowing that the anchor will always be there. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. See, we put our trust in Him and He will do the guiding. Steadfast means it cannot slip. Even though we're to be moving forward, the anchor cannot slip. Not that it won't slip it can not slip. You can put your faith and trust in it. What an incredible promise. Why did our ship, the USS Frank Cable, why did we have to go to the St. Thomas for 10 days? We had to go so that we could prove that the ship could do what it was supposed to do okay in theory <clears throat> the ship was designed to accomplish certain things was it not in theory but until we actually ooh, wow that's who put Your that anchor's who? Here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> who put that there <clears throat> um but until we actually did it it was just theory See, that's why we had to go. Because we had to prove the theory right. The promise from God is that our anchor is sure and steadfast. That's the promise of God. It cannot break and it cannot move. That is an incredible promise that each of us can hold on to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58 but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that ye labor is not in vain in the Lord. Point number one, the anchor. <clears throat> Point number two, I bet you won't get this one. The alternative. <laughs> Okay what is the alternative to being anchored another nautical term for it is is the word is adrift adrift the word adrift literally means without ties guidance or security in other words when a ship is adrift it is at the whim of the wind the currents the tide all the quote-unquote, circumstances of life. And when our lives are not anchored in Christ, what are we? We're adrift. And we literally bounce from circumstance to circumstance to circumstance, letting the winds and the currents and the tides take us where they want to take us. But if we're anchored in Christ, then we're not adrift. But we need to understand what it means to be adrift. Okay, got another picture for you. You're getting tired of pictures. Anybody know what this is? Picture. It's a picture. It's a battleship. Yeah, it's a battleship. Anybody know what battleship? No, the Bismarck. <clears throat> During World War II, the Bismarck was the. It, it was. It was the biggest battleship on the face of the earth at the time, I believe. Could be wrong, I think Japanese may have had one just a little bit bigger. But anyway, this was an incredible threat to the Allies. And it only operated at one offensive operation for eight days. In May of 1941, it left the harbor in Germany to make its way into the North Sea so that it could sink uh, 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 American ships, supply ships, coming into England uh, for the Allied offensive. <clears throat> this thing could shoot targets 15-plus miles away, far beyond anything that the United States had at the time, or, or England. <clears throat> but in a desperate effort to sink this ship, you all know what biplanes are? That's you know, the thing that's got the propeller with the two wings, and very, very slow, very old, ant- antiquated airplanes. The British launched several biplanes that had torpedoes underneath them to try and sink this thing, which was impossible, the armor on here—they they literally just bounced off. This, the torpedoes literally just bounced off. But one of the torpedoes hit the rudder, thus rendering this ship adrift, a sitting duck. Sit duck. It could not maneuver. It could it could go, but it. It, the, the, the rudder was stuck in, a, in a, basically a turn position, and all they, they could just do circles. And the British were able to sink it because it was put adrift. The most powerful ship in the world at the time was absolutely worthless because it was put adrift. Now let's apply that to our lives. I know people who have been saved for many, many years who think, you know what? I'm a battleship Christian. And what is Satan going to do? Take down. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna put you adrift with a single shot, with a, an antiquated airplane. He's going to hit your rudder. He's going to put you adrift. See, the problem was the ship would have never been sunk had it stayed anchored in port. And way too often we get out in the sea of life and we go, we go through the seas of life and we go our, with the attitude of, hey, I got this thing. Pride sets in. And as soon as pride sets in, guess what? Your life is adrift. You are no longer anchored in, in Christ. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We are all prone to wander, are we not? How do we know when we're adrift in our lives? Because sometimes, honestly, sometimes we can become adrift and not even really even know it. There's two indicators I want to share with you this morning that will help you understand if you're adrift in your life or not. Number one, we start to doubt the Word of God. We start to doubt the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people who were struggling with the doubt of the Word of God. They were struggling and that the, the, Satan had planted the seed of doubt in their minds. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, Let us labor, therefore, uh, to enter uh, into that rest, lest any man fall after the same uh, example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, Paul is writing to a group of people who who have they they had they they had heard a lie that the word of God really isn't the word of God, and Paul is writing to them. He's saying, "Don't believe that example." Don't believe the lie. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of sun or soul and spirit. I can't tell you how many people that I have seen their lives adrift and and the very first thing is is the fact that they start to doubt the word of God. I've seen it over and over and over. I've even seen it in my own life. All of a sudden doubt starts to come in and doubt is an incredibly powerful tool that Satan has used from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. What did he say to Eve? Yea, hath God said, what is he doing? He's planting the seed of doubt into her mind. Jesus even alludes to it in Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 and 25 when he says, another parable put he uh, forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man who was sowed with good seeds in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat <clears throat> and went his way. See, Jesus is even alluding to the fact that Satan likes to plant the seeds of doubt in our minds, does he not? The second thing is we start, number one, we start to doubt the Word of God. Then we become dull to the Word of God. We become dull to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, <clears throat> Of whom we have many things to say uh, and hard to be uttered, saying, Ye are dull of hearing. What's what's Paul saying in Hebrews chapter five? You're not listening anymore. The things that used to be passionate. I I I remember when I got saved, I would sit and I would I would read my Bible and I would take in every word. And it, and every word of this book was precious to me and I was excited about it. And then all of a sudden, one day I realized, you know what? I haven't read my Bible in a while. What was happening? My life was adrift and I didn't even know it. When's the last time you picked up the book? When's the last time you spent five minutes reading the book? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about in every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. See, this this verse describes what a Christian looks like when their life's adrift. We're just tossed around with every wind of doctrine our sleight of men, our cunningness and craftiness. We just tend to go along, and all of a sudden, instead of us living our lives, our lives are being dictated to the people and the situations around us. And we've lost our anchor. Our anchor's not holding anymore. David was such a man who cycled through life. He would, he would, he had. If you've ever studied David. David would have really high highs and really low lows. And in psalm fifty one is one of my favorite psalms of david. and david was was had had hit bottom. he had he had sinned against God, He had sinned against Bathsheba and and uh, Uriah the Hittite. He had uh, murdered uh, Uriah the Hittite. and <clears throat> david David had hit bottom. But Psalm 51 is an incredible road map, if you would, of the journey home for David. One of the reasons I like it is because I see my life oftentimes in this this psalm. And I'm I'm just going to read you two verses, but it is important that we get a hold of this. Psalm chapter 51, verses uh, 10 and 12. I guess this is three verses. uh, 10 to 12. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, uh, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with the Spirit. Excuse me, with thy spirit. What was David saying? Psalm 51, if you if you read it, David takes full responsibility for the sin that he had committed. But then he says, create in me a clean spirit. And what was he doing? David realized that he had let go of the anchor. And he was trying his best to grab hold of the anchor again. And he was begging God not only to just keep him from from falling, but he was asking God to renew his spirit. Create in him a a clean heart. And there are times when our lives are adrift, like David's is, that this is an incredible example of what each of us needs to do in our lives. We need to come back to God and say, God, not only do I need the anchor back in my life, but Lord, You need to to renew the Spirit in me. You need to restore the joy of my salvation. See, God's promises his provision, his promises, and his plan. But the peace of God that passeth all understanding is available to each of us. But we've got to be tied to the anchor. The anchor that is sure and steadfast. And then number four, or excuse me, number three. We see also in verse 19 19 and 20, and that is the access. The access. Let's read again verse 19 and 20. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and fast, and with the uh, entering into uh, that within the veil. where Whether the, the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest, for even after the order of Melchizedek, it is important to understand what he's talking about here the veil that he is talking about here is very very specific it is not just any veil this is the veil that was in the temple there was a within the temple there were different rooms and there was a veil between two of the rooms the what is called the holy place and the holy of holies it is the Holy of Holies was the place where the high priest would go once a year and would sprinkle the blood on the altar and atone for the sins of the people. It was, it was the place. And the priest, when he went in, if, if he had any sin in his life, if there was any unconfessed sin in his life, the second he crossed the veil... God would kill him. That's how serious this place is. It is the place where God dwelt on earth, the holy of holies. In fact, it was it was so such a holy place that when the priest went in, they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if when he went in he died, they could pull him out because nobody could go get him only the high priest could go in that's how important this place is and the veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place is the veil that is being mentioned here that is the place where god sits <clears throat> matthew chapter 27 verses 50 and 51 jesus when he uh, had cried again with a loud voice. Okay, where is Jesus in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50? He's on the cross. He is about to, to die for your sins and for mine. And <clears throat> Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Okay, what is, what, is, what is that that we just read? It is really simple. The moment that Jesus died, God rent the veil. And it's very specific. It was rent from the top to the bottom. Why is that important? Because it gave it to God. Well, it, it, the, the top to the bottom is more specific than that because if man had done it, man would have ripped it from the bottom to the top. But God did it, giving access to Him. And the veil that is mentioned here in verse 19 is that very veil. We, because of the death of Christ, we have access to God. See, prior to that, and this is important, you get a hold of this. Prior to that, if let's just say, for instance, you were alive... During the Old Testament economy, and you wanted to go to you, wanted to talk to God, you would have to go to your priest, and then he would have to mediate between you and God. There are religions today that teach that, but when God rent the veil and Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine, that means that now all of a sudden I can go straight to God, I don't need a mediator anymore. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That is why Christ can be my anchor. Because I have full access to him. My priest is not my anchor. My pastor is not my anchor. My friend, my... You fill in the blank. No human being can be your anchor. Only Jesus Christ. And that is because we have full access to Him. Amen. <clears throat> I read a story recently of a king who was sitting in his, I don't know, we call it a situation room in, in the United States, but probably the equivalent of that. With all his advisors and princes and all the royal people that whatever they do. And all of a sudden there was a big noise at the door of the room that all of these very important people were sitting in. And the door flung open and the guard that was guarding the door was yelling, come back young man, come back. You cannot go in there. The king is busy. And the little boy stopped and he looked at the guard and he said, he may be your king, but he's my daddy. See, that's the kind of access we have. That's right. That is the. I I love that story. I don't know if it's true. I I imagine it's true. I know uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, his little boy, had full access to him in the White House. But see, that's the kind of access we have. We can just crawl up, quote unquote, into the lap of our God and say, God, I need help. That's why it is so important that we anchor our souls in Christ. There is nothing in this world that we can anchor to that can promise us to be steadfast and sure. Nothing. There is nothing that we can anchor our lives to that can give us the peace that only God can provide. But see, when we understand his provision, his promises, and his plan, the peace comes. Again, let me me explain one thing. I am not saying by any stretch of the imagination that if you anchor your life in Christ, that your life will be problem-free. It's not going to happen. Life still happens. It does. But we can have peace. We can have peace through the hard times. We can have peace laying in a hospital wondering what in the world's going on. We can have peace in our hearts. See, it's when our lives are adrift that confusion comes in and doubt and all of the things that come along with that. So let me challenge you as we as we start off this this year of being anchored in Christ, let me ask you, where's your anchor this morning? Is your anchor in Christ? Is it in the world? Is your life adrift? I can't answer that. Only you can answer that. Where's your anchor? I can tell you this, and I can promise you this. My anchor is steadfast and sure. Let's pray.